Sometimes I feel as if I'm still in my infant stages of learning, particularly concerning prayer. When I sit in various churches and listen, I know that I'm not alone. What do you do when you pray? Is it more of a pleading or a griping session where you want to rant to a willing ear? Many people like to say, if all else fails, at least we can pray. Like we need to try everything we can to correct the situation, raise money, have committee talks, bring it before the church for a vote, and tell anyone and everyone who will listen what is going on and why. Then, when we realize we have nothing but hard times and frustrations, at least we can pray. Is that what prayer is? Is that what it's meant to be? A final outlet? The more I pray, I can sincerely say, the more I want to pray. This is my open line of communication with Jesus Christ, who hears me and answers. No, not every prayer time is some magnificent opus that enraptures my soul. The snow does not melt and the house does not tremble. But I know the Lord listens and he responds. And for the skeptics that are reading or listening to this, there is something here that only the loved ones of God understand. You won't get it. There's so much that can be said regarding prayer. A great deal of description has been given, which, in my opinion, is subjective in one sense. Now, as you study and consider what is being illustrated, you can begin to see principles of prayer being taught. And there comes that, aha, now I get it moment. People communicate differently. And the Lord responds appropriately to the personality he's addressing. He knows the need and the heart. We can go through the Bible and examine how people have prayed, what their focus was in prayer, and take copious notes. Then we can seek to incorporate these things into our prayer lives. We can practice the principles we learn and know that practice makes perfect. Now, in coming to Philippians, knowing the background and the flavor of the letter, we see Paul praying for the Philippians. How does he address this in the letter to the Philippians? He greets the Christians at Philippi in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Then he mentions how he prays for them, starting with their spiritual needs. Paul realizes that the spiritual needs surpass the physical requirements. This is not to say that the hunger of a homeless man is irrelevant and unimportant. If we simply tell the hungry man that we're praying for him and offer him no food or help or assistance, it shows we truly haven't opened our eyes to understand his immediate need or the grace of God. First in line of importance, though, is the spiritual need. Lord, encourage this man and fill him with the joy of your presence, right? If the man is beaten down due to his estate in life, food is not the fix. It may be a blessed band-aid, but it is not the most profound need. In Philippians, Paul focuses on how we think. He realizes that how we think dictates how we act. So he encourages the Philippians by letting them know how much he enjoys their fellowship. 
He tells the Philippians he loved them and longs to be with them, that they're the joy and the crown of his heart. He's letting them know these things. In his prayer, he's thanking God for the memories of the good times they have had in the Lord. And he lets them know that these prayers are constant, not just a simple prayer at a Wednesday night prayer meeting that will be forgotten by the end of the service. He continues to pray for the people, and he does so with joy. Paul begins his prayer with thankfulness. This is critical to understand. Gratitude is akin to praise, which is one of the pillars and the foundations of prayer. I do not know how conversant you are with Scripture, if you can work your way through Scripture with ease. But there are so many small nuggets of gold that you can find as you study that will cheer you up and encourage you to continue on. In Genesis chapter 29, we're told that Sarah gave birth to a man-child and named him Judah. That name, by definition, means praise to the Lord. And you will find that Judah is an eternally prominent name in the history of Israel. It was from his lineage that Jesus Christ came and was known as the Lion from the tribe of Judah. Names are significant in Scripture and should never be overlooked as you study. And that includes all those long genealogies that seem to have no significance at all. God doesn't waste words and does not need to fill space in the Bible. Every name is given for a reason. And studying them is important and very encouraging once you begin the habit. As you study the name Judah, note that he was called to go into battle first. He was to lead Israel into battle. In massive conflict, the people prayed in this way. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I've given the land into their hands. In internal struggles, the people prayed. The Israelites went up to Bethel and they inquired of God. And they said, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjaminites? And the Lord replied, Judah shall go first. When we go into battle, we go in faith with uplifted hands, offering praise and thanksgiving and surrendering the outcome to the Lord. Praise goes first into battle. When we approach God, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Paul studied, read, and learned, but better yet, he practiced what he had learned and he did what he had learned. There is a time to petition the Lord and to bring our concerns and frustrations to him. He calls us to do this, but he commands us to come before him first with thanksgiving. Paul always thanked God for the evidence of spiritual growth among Christians. He knew the problems within the church, and he knew the problems that would be coming. He knew people's hearts, and that there was no good to be found there. He was not a critical skeptic or nihilistic. He understood that men had no good within them that would satisfy God. We tend to live our lives as if, as we live we tend to live our lives as we wish to live our lives. We seek to first indulge the flesh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Paul was not ignorant in this regard, but he was not filled with contempt either. Our temptation is to look down on men and condemn them for their constant attitudes. But Paul was thankful that the Lord was aware of all these things, and he knew exactly what to do. It was the Lord who would change the spots on the leopard, and if he could do this, he could change a man's heart. Paul knew that God had and can provide miraculously and wonderfully for his children, for their salvation, and their continued spiritual growth. And seeing these things in the Philippians, he was so thankful for the friends he had made there and for the amazing grace of God that was so evident. Listen to the congregation in your church as they pray. The preacher may wax eloquent with flowery and lofty words, which sound good and impress, 
But if he's not teaching the sheep how to pray, it'll be evident in the people's prayer. Don't pray to impress. No, no, don't do that. Don't get caught in that trap. So many things are tied to prayer, and prayer reveals so much about the understanding you have regarding God and his word. If we study Paul and how he lived out his faith, we'll see that he was filled with thankfulness and gratitude. So if we want to learn, that's great. But let your learning go beyond head knowledge. Let it drop down into your heart and into your feet. Learn how to do. When you pray, thank God. Thank him for spiritual blessings. Thank him for his eternal and unconditional love. Thank him for the Holy Spirit. Thank him for the word that he has given to us that we call the Bible. Thank him for the support of other Christians and the encouragement that they offer. And the family you now have in the church. The provision he supplies, the ability to work and good health. And if he allows he help, be thankful for good doctors that God has provided. Learn to be thankful for all things, good or bad. A car wreck occurred. Should I be thankful? For what? The wrecked car? Perhaps not, but you can be grateful that you're alive and nobody was seriously hurt. A lost friend dies without Christ. Am I to be thankful? I know this is a hard one, but thank God for his goodness even in times of trouble. Train yourself to be a grateful person for all the spiritual blessings God has provided, and there are many. Do this, and you'll begin to see how the Lord blesses the thankful heart. Wounds begin to heal up, and scars are turned into stars. Gray skies start to break, and the light of God's goodness and the glory of God begins to be seen and experienced. And it's real. We can see it, and we can experience it. It has been there all along, but our eyes have been blinded by an unthankful heart. Everything was terrible. Everybody was against me. Nothing was working. It was horrible. The thankful heart begins to overflow with joy because it begins to see the hand of God is evident in everything. Before the complaining spirit tainted the vision with sadness and bitterness. There was no joy in Mudville. The heart was broken and it was wounded by life. And who can stand a wounded spirit? All there was was complaint and bitterness. One of the standards by which you can measure your maturity in prayer is the time you spend rejoicing in Christ and in God and thanking Him for the spiritual blessings He's given you in Christ. And I can say with full and complete confidence that this is the best thing to do. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it is to be learned. Whatever happens, give thanks, because it's God's will in Christ Jesus that you do this. We thank you very much for following along in our study on Philippians, and we hope that you continue as we continue with the study here. You are well appreciated, and we hope that this has been of great benefit to you. Thank you very much.